welcome to Sweden in Transition podcast. In a world in need of urgent reinvention, they do or see things differently and tell us more. I am Sonia Lehmann and today I have the pleasure to meet James Early. Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I'm James Ehrlich. I'm founder of Regen Villages Holding, which is a Dutch company based on Stanford University Research that founded this company in 2016. I'm also an entrepreneur in residence at Stanford University. I'm a faculty member of Singularity University. I'm a senior fellow at NASA Ames Research Center. And under the Obama administration, I was appointed to a White House State Department Joint Task Force on uh, Regenerative Infrastructure. And Regen Villages uh, is this company that I founded because I had spent 14 plus years doing case study research of organic, biodynamic family farming and intentional communities. And when I came to Stanford, I got involved in a cohort building energy positive homes. I saw this beautiful marriage between designed permaculture and regenerative resilient systems as the basis uh, or substrate for uh, the future of neighborhood development. So myself and a couple of other professors at Stanford put together a few UN Sustainable Development Goal platform briefs. We realized in 2016 that this was urgent, the need for building new kinds of communities around the world that could be self-sustaining was at the forefront. So we decided to create a spinoff company because I'm a serial entrepreneur my whole life. Uh, this was something that I embarked on. Originally, we were going to be a Danish holding company, but then we decided in the end to create a Dutch company. So we're part of the EU. We are in the process of realizing our first 300 home neighborhood. We hope to be doing this in the Netherlands. We've been working very closely with the local government uh, about 30 minutes east of Amsterdam in an area region called Flevoland. And then from there, really, it's a pipeline of projects across North Europe, with the goal being, to be honest, to show the global south how the new middle class in Europe wants to live in self-sustaining off-grid neighborhoods that can feed them, hydrate them, empower them digest their waste, etc. And so that when this new middle class is emerging in the global south, that they want this way of life as opposed to the older way of life in terms of suburbs. You mentioned the urgency and the baseline for the podcast is that the world needs urgent reinvention. Mm. What needs reinventing? Well, critically speaking, there's a terrible housing shortage on planet Earth. Almost over a billion housing units are in need right now. We've got two to three billion more people coming to the planet uh, in the next 30 years. And there is a NASA mathematical equation called the Handy Model, which actually predicts global civilization collapse um, based on a few key parameters, climate change anomalies, along with uh, economic inequality, mostly around housing, access to clean water, clean food, energy, and hygiene. So it's a it's a recipe for disaster unless we urgently start building these kinds of neighborhoods that can be decentralized and safe and healthy and self-supporting. Do you think people in the West are ready to hear that we need to live differently? How do you make those villages inspiring for them? 
I've uh, been studying this for about 15 years, compelling research in, in both organic farming and biodynamics, but also in how intentional communities form and where they come from and the beautiful tradition of, of eco-villages. They are quite beautiful and quite interesting, but they take organically ground up. They take between 8 to 30 years to build 100 homes. It's not going to solve the problem on planet Earth. Uh, so we're taking, if you forgive the term, an industrialized approach to building these kinds of neighborhoods in such a way that they are beautiful, energy-positive homes. For North Europe, for instance, it's hardwood pine and glass, where the typologies not only can last for 80 or 100 years, but that they have a second, third life, that the building materials, in other words, are circular. That's also really important. You know, quite honestly, what people are drawn to in developed economies is the fact that they don't have to work to be in a neighborhood like this. They can buy a house. They can rent a house. It's very traditional real estate. At the same time, there's this managed services, these amenities. It used to be the pool, the tennis court, the golf course. We replaced that with beautiful basket of food sourced right at your doorstep, very biodiverse, artisanal ingredients, clean water, clean energy, and turning your waste into resources. Most of our market research has shown that people are concerned slash scared about where things are going on the planet. They want a sense of security, safety, resiliency. So in other words, it's not just, let's say, tree-hugging hippies. Nothing wrong with them. I'm a card-carrying member myself. But rather that there's a really a growing population of both young people but also older people, affluent people, who really want to live like this. They're drawn to this idea. Does that mean that the American way of life has shifted to another resilient way of life and that we use the same techniques to create desire and try to engage a lot of people around this new inspiring lifestyle? The people need to understand that when they move into a regen villages community, that it's really no different than moving into essentially any other kind of neighborhood, except for the fact that their house is generating more power than their family needs, that the neighborhood that's surrounding them is generating more delicious, organic, bioavailable food than their family needs, and clean water and clean energy and all these different things, that those are all asset classes that benefit their thriving and their family. It's not a, a, that much of a leap of faith for people to, to see that this is a, a really valuable proposition to live in communities like this. For instance, we've seen over the last couple of years in the U.S. 150 new what they're calling agrihood in the neighborhoods, which essentially is residential living next to or part of an organic farm. It's not fully integrated like our uh, plan is. The point is that there are more and more people and families who want to get out of the city, get out of the urban environment, and want to have agency and connectivity with their natural resources. Because it's proven to increase your life. Scientifically, it's proven. There's the Blue Zone research, which is a 16-year research initiative. My research, which is 14 years. My current affiliation at Stanford is actually School of Medicine. So we're really interested in how you live and where you live to, to have happy longevity. So the value is there, in other words. And really what it's going to come down to, to be honest, is in a very short period of time, mark my words, that people are going to choose living in a Regen Villages neighborhood over another kind of traditional, conventional neighborhood in such a way that it's going to force the other developers to do the same things. 
And that's good for us. We're really striving to build a software company that can then serve those other constructors so that they can then build these neighborhoods rapidly. We have to change the rules on the books. First of all, we need to take a piece of previously zoned agricultural land and get permission to build some amount of density of housing on that land with the promise that we can deliver on that we won't compromise the productive value farming-wise for that ground. So long as we create those parameters, we ought to be able to then get the permits to build very quickly. It's all about biodiversity in the end. It's it's the same as regenerative agriculture. Instead of separating agriculture from livestock, we yes. should mix them all together. And it's the same in cities. Instead of having rich area mm. and problems area, it's mixing people so everybody can learn from one another. Exactly right. I mean, our name is Regen Villages. So Regen is for regenerative. Although in the Netherlands and Germany, Regen means rain. So rain village is also quite poetic. But Regen is really for regenerative. There is an eco area here in Stockholm called Hammerbu. It's an attractive area. Yes. And some people go there by chance, not really for the ecological reason, but because it's a nice place to live in. Research showed that it can be disappointing because they don't have the behavior that optimizes the system. They don't sort uh, so well because they don't pay attention to the energy consumption that much. Do you think we should make people aware and then move them to villages or the villages are a way to educate people for a new way of life? I'm waving a flag that the best case for humanity's survival is outside of cities. I know it's not a popular flag to wave. Everyone tells me, especially in government at all levels, that the trend is the city, the city, the city. At the same time, we're beginning to see younger people and older people losing faith that the city is the right place for them because of cost of living, quality of life, air quality, noise, whatever it may be. There's a variety of, of things um, that are happening. We inhabit only 3% of the available land mass. And most of, of the available land has been, let's say, consolidated for big agriculture. I really strongly believe that we need a balance. I'm not saying we're going to drain the cities of, of, of people, but that we really start to look at these lily pads, self-sustaining communities and neighborhoods more and more and more around the world, especially in the growing developing South, as a means to reduce burdens on government local, regional, national, on healthcare systems, on, on radicalization, all these different things. And if you're living, in other words, in a healthy, vibrant neighborhood that is nurturing you, like with an umbilical cord almost, your, your tendency to be unhappy or to be disgruntled and going after government or whatever it may be is almost set to zero because you're, you know, you're just living a happy life. So, It's a bit of an anathema to the current consumption model that we're living in, quarterly profits, extraction, um, that kind of thing. So we have our behemoth sort of organizations out there who probably are not so keen on, on our ideas, but the people will vote with their feet. They will start to move out of the cities in mass. I don't know if you've heard about the yellow vest movement in France. The, the point of their demands is that uh, people in the rural areas are being forgotten. It's an amazing point. A few months ago, we became part of a EU commission on quote-unquote smart rural villages to help define what the word smart means. We have done our part, we feel, to make the R and smart at least about resiliency. 
There is right now, the, the topic is mostly around internet connectivity and broadband access and things like that. From my perspective, it's all about creating a new way forward for these municipalities and these regional governments that they can start to see people coming to invest there and live there because the need to actually live in a city is going to be less and less for a couple of reasons. One, Oxford and Cambridge study that came out last year, 47% of all employment will not exist anymore in 20 years due to machine learning, AI, robotics, etc. And those aren't jobs that are coming back as something else. You're not going to take a, a lorry driver or bus driver, whatever it is, and turn them into a roboticist or an AI scientist. So those jobs aren't coming back. So that's the first part. The second part, so there's no, the need to like commute to a city then becomes a question if half the population mm-hmm. doesn't need to do that anymore. The other is with autonomous travel, so level five autonomous vehicles, high-speed transit like Hyperloop One with drone taxis, drone deliveries, low-Earth orbit bandwidth, the connectivity will be there. So you have all the internet access that somebody in university would have. You have a clean, beautiful place to live and to raise your family or to grow old in, especially, so mixed generations. Your quality of life is completely improved and increased because you're living in a rural area. The price of the ground is so inexpensive and the cost efficiency of the way we plan to really build these homes is so correct that it's something that within your lifetime, you can actually then give to your kids or your grandkids, which doesn't exist anymore, really. Or if you're a young person, that you can have hope to actually have some kind of position. Plenty of land. I mean, you just get in any city, pretty much in the world. You get on a train or a bus, whatever it is, and five minutes out, typically, you are starting into open land, especially here in Europe. It's it's there's, there's wide open spaces. At the same time, we know sprawl is coming. The sprawl meaning that landowners, real mm-hmm. estate developers, typically, they buy farmland. They know they can't do anything with it, but they sit on it, and they wait for the local government to have a pain point in needing more school development, whatever it is. And then that developer is positioned to move forward. And what we want to do is get to those areas before those other developers do, buy the ground and make master plans for development that are about two-third, one-third mix. So one-third for development of housing and two-thirds for critical life support systems, uh, food, water, energy, and waste. But to prove that two-thirds of open space has incredible value, economic value, year after year after year, beautiful kind of returns for for pension funds because of its productive nature. But in terms of human value, that we can really convey this long-term blossoming, fruiting kind of community that celebrates seasonality, and life and life cycles. And that's something as a species right now we have never been more disassociated from in our entire lives. So I have lots of colleagues at Stanford that say I'm wrong, <laughs> that cities are the best case for sustainability because of one word, proximity. But I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up in New York City. And it's a very brittle place. It's a beautiful place. It's great food, entertainment, everything else, but brittle. So 
storm, a climate change anomaly, some issue, you can just, there's a domino effect in terms of utility scale services. And it doesn't take long for that NASA handy model to kick in, for the most reasonable people in civilization to become quite unreasonable because they are hungry or they're thirsty or their baby needs something or their elderly parent needs something. And they're just, they're not going to stand by and, and stand in a long line waiting for some service that's not coming. So um, I'm quite concerned about that as a parent and as somebody also getting older. Uh, the time is now. We need to build these right now at scale around the world. I'm talking to you, Mr. Microphone. <laughs> Your conviction is that cities can't have the resilience of a rural area, no matter what. Exactly. And that the rural areas don't even know yet how much value they have. And apart from resilience, what is really inspiring in the villages, how you present them, is that quality of life and quality of interaction within the community. You mentioned that a different generation should have a role to play. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? We've entered into a new era, unfortunately, of senior living and assisted living. And quite honestly, from my perspective, it's a scam. It's an attempt to get the creative class to do kind of a reverse mortgage for themselves. They sell their house. They put themselves into these apartment complexes, where as they age, they move into higher and higher rent brackets for more assistance and services. But it's purgatory. They're moving into communities where people are just getting older and dying. They're surrounded by death, in other words. Other than the occasional visit of a grandchild or, or a younger person, it's, it's not really happening. So what we're seeing... In the Netherlands, for instance, is that there's this beginning of a combination of nursery schools with, with elder care, which is great. But if you go to any eco-village, and I challenge you, go to any eco-village around the world, you go to the community center because typically eco-villages have at least one central kitchen and central building that's, that's for everybody. And there's usually community announcements, birth announcements, life announcements, birthdays, anniversaries, parties, celebrations. Then there's, uh, you know, usually if somebody's sick or they need something, there's healthcare, hospice care announcements, and then there's death announcements. So if you're born into a community like that, you see this whole story arc of life and that you're part of it. Most importantly, as you get older, you have so much wisdom and knowledge and humor and, and storytelling and all these different things. Again, as a species, we're disassociating ourselves from that. If you reach a certain age, you're considered to be garbage. If you're young, too young, you're also considered to be garbage at the other end of the spectrum because you're not, you don't know anything yet. Families with small children, well, you're a pariah because you've got small kids. In other words, there's this sort of sweet spot for the glamorous few people, individual couples who have enough money to, to be in the glamour mode, but they too are going to get older and they too are going to have kids. The bottom line is let's build neighborhoods from scratch where we completely imagine a socioeconomic level of starter homes, tiny homes, extremely affordable, social affordable housing, all the way up to the villas for the high rollers, for young people who want to glamp or Airbnb and just or woof and be in the neighborhood, to the people who want to live there permanently, but that they're all different ages. Circularity of nature, which we disconnected, a long time ago with 
now we see everything in a linear way mm. and even generation. Yes. Just to finish and to go back to what you said in introduction, you want to show the developing world that the way of life that is uh, inspiring and desirable for the Western people now is regenerative villages. Can you uh, explain why there is a tremendous risk that if all those countries apply our lifestyle, it's going to accelerate our collapse. Our lifestyle right now is not sustainable. We had the opportunity 40, 50 years ago, pretty much when the hippies were saying, we need clean air, clean water, we have to conserve, we have to be mindful of Mother Earth. We lost that uh, opportunity. Now we have to be regenerative and we have to be resilient and we can restore ecosystems. And we can do this for 10 billion people living on, on Earth. If the global south wants what we have in terms of food consumption, meat consumption especially, and suburbs, car culture, waste producing, energy sucking homes, which is great for those businesses in those cycles, of course, for quarterly profits, but the planet's going to die. It's just going to die. We won't have the ability to sustain ourselves. So we need to make this sexy like Elon Musk made electric cars sexy again and safe and interesting again. We need to make living off-grid neighborhoods and eco-villages you know, in a high-tech way and sexy again so that people really like it and want it and know that it's comfortable. We're headed towards a really bad direction. There's some of us, I believe you're part of that too, we're trying to grab hold of that steering wheel and pull us away from the cliff, doing the best we possibly can by way of example by showing what's possible to build. So that's our plan. Do you have any book, any quotes you would like to share? I am a big fan of, of Rudolf Steiner's work, who put this whole concept of, of biodiversity and biodynamics uh, forward, and also the Waldorf School complex and brilliant thinking. And then there's Buckminster Fuller, who's a you know, complete hero of mine in terms of system thinking, uh, looking at the planet and mapping the planet based on natural resources and not on arbitrary and capricious lines for regions and governments, etc. And Buckminster Fuller was off to say that if you want to build something new, don't fight. Build a, a new model that makes the old one obsolete. And so that's the quote that I would leave with. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Thank you. Thanks a lot to James Ehrlich and to you all for listening. If you like this episode, please share it or rate it on iTunes so it can be noticed by more people. Find links and references on SwedenInTransition.strikingly.com. See you soon.